0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sarah Ivory. Today, one actor's return to his roots... Anthony Schur has won countless awards for his performances in heavy-hitter roles like Shylock, Cyrano de Bergerac, Richard III, and Macbeth. He's traveled a great distance from his quiet, middle-class upbringing in Cape Town, South Africa, and even further from his grandparents. They were Jewish immigrants from Lithuania. Now Schur is returning to his roots in an acclaimed new play by Nicholas Wright at the National Theatre in London. The play is called Traveling Light and asks why so many Jews were involved in the making of Hollywood. The answer, we discover, is to be found in a rural shtetl somewhere in Eastern Europe. Schur plays a wealthy timber merchant who serves as a proto-producer in the village. London-based producer Hugh Levinson went to meet Anthony Schur a few hours before a performance recently to talk about the play and about how this role brings together threads of his past.
1: Anthony Scher, Sir Anthony Sher, I should say, thank you very much for talking to Tablet. We're here at the National Theatre and you'll be going on stage in a couple of hours to play this extraordinary character, Jakob Bindle, in the new play Travelling Light. Can you tell me a little bit about Jakob, who he is and the world he comes from? Well,
2: he is, as you say, an extraordinary character terrific creation by the writer Nicholas Wright because we we learn about his background that he's had a very extraordinary background lived for a while as a feral child after there was a massacre in the village that he was born in and then wandered all over Eastern Europe uh, he's uneducated, illiterate he's never learnt any language properly so he speaks a broken English though of course it would be Yiddish they'd all be speaking Yiddish Mm. so he's this very sort of um, primal man but he has a natural instinct for business he's become a very successful timber merchant in, in the village and just a natural instinct for storytelling so this combination of storytelling and business makes him ideally suited to become a sort of embryo film producer because the story of the play is how this in this little village they discover filmmaking through one of the Lumiere brothers' cinematographs and in a very basic way discover some of the primary things about filmmaking and he becomes as I say, the sort of producer figure, the, the man who's going to turn into those Hollywood moguls, the Sam Goldwins and, and, and so on. There's something very cheeky and, I think, delightful about seeing one of those guys in, in embryo form.
1: Because this is absolutely the middle of nowhere. It's the middle of the forest yes. in the shtetl, what, about yes. 1900 or 1905? That's right. And suddenly, everything about the movies... And how does that happen in this little bit of nowhere? Well, as I
2: say, you see them experimenting and discovering not only how you cut together scenes or shoot scenes, but also, and again, it's, it's quite cheeky, there's kind of chutzpah attached here, you see the producer figure kind of invent the casting couch and that he only agrees to finance this film if he can uh, sleep with the leading lady. And you see them invent a focus group, you know, where... The film is shown to a group of villagers who are then invited to (laughs) criticize, say what they don't like about it. So all these things that have now become part of movie making, these people are in a way discovering for the first time.
1: What I love is the the young man who's actually making the films, he says, I'll go to America and I won't have those problems there. (laughs)
2: That's right. That's right. And he he says he won't have any producers or accountants jumping on his back in America. (laughs) Because, of course, then the play uh, travels forward in time and you see that young man as an established Hollywood director looking back on on his life and the
1: shtetl. Let me bring you back to Bindle because he's... Really a great figure, larger than life. I know at least some of your grandparents came from the shtetl. I mean, did that influence you in your playing of Bindle? What did you draw on? I think there's a lot of my father, who
2: wasn't born in Eastern Europe. He's first-generation South African. But there's a lot of him in this character, I feel. My dad was not-very-cultured businessman, very successful businessman, and the world of the arts that I went into was very foreign and strange to him, so we didn't really get on terribly well until perhaps the last few years of his life. But there's certainly something about Jacob's earthiness and sort of lust for life that I think is is my dad showing through.
1: There's a theme that runs through this play, which is interesting, and it plays through into the 1930s because the play goes back and forwards, about what they call Jewish movies, which seems to be implicit. It seems to be something about storytelling, something about the Hollywoodization of life, if I can put it that way. How do you see that? You see, I think what happened in Hollywood was they
2: disguised all that, didn't they? They there were a lot of Jewish people making in movies in Hollywood, but they weren't that open about being Jewish, and I don't think they would have called them Jewish movies, but they would have taken some of the stories that they knew from the old country and transformed them into American stories. I always think it's very strange, you know, because when I was starting out as an actor, I wasn't sure about... How open to be about my Jewish identity, given that I'm not a practicing Jew, so it wasn't like a big issue. But I only realized years later that some of the big Hollywood movie stars that I was watching then, like Kirk Douglas, Paul Newman, and others, were Jews. And yet we sort of didn't know at the time, and somehow the studios just kept that quiet for whatever reason. And I find that quite interesting about Jews in in Hollywood that it it wasn't quite done to mention it in the same way I, as a gay man, you know the the same battle is still being fought about being openly gay in in Hollywood. Still not something that people easily do, even despite the groundbreaking work that someone like um, Ian McAllen has achieved there.
1: Do you think that informs some of this acting that uh, and movie making the Jewishness is there even if it's covert, even if it had been hidden during all those decades? Well, I think it must because it's such
2: it's full of such rich themes that whether it's overt or not, uh, the richness is there. It's a bit like Arthur Miller. I've just been doing an Arthur Miller play called Broken Glass, which, in which he's very open about his Jewishness. But, of course, he wasn't for much of his career either. And although a lot of people might see, say, Death of a Salesman as being about a Jewish character, Willie Loman, that's never stated, and uh, yet the richness is, is there. It's
1: an interesting game that's being played. It's interesting, I've been reading your autobiography and you talk a lot about always feeling like an outsider in your youth. You are talking about that with your father and never quite fitting in. Yeah. And I wonder how that has really affected your acting. And also, of course, you know, your writing and painting and the other creative things you do. It's hugely
2: affected my creativity, being an outsider, wrestling with different aspects of my identity that at first I wasn't comfortable with being Jewish, being gay and indeed being white South African. when I came to this country in the 60s and learned about apartheid South Africa in a way that I hadn't known actually living there because we we were a non-political family and just living comfortably without really being aware of what was the atrocity that was going on around us. You know, I became very shocked and ashamed of being white South African. So I had all these different aspects of my identity to deal with, and for a while I denied them all, and I was in so many closets I didn't know what (laughs) key was what. But... Now my life's journey has been to embrace and celebrate those aspects of myself that are different. And I look back at it as a a sort of waste of time. How can you not be who you are? Particularly as an actor, actually, because until you're kind of at ease with who you are, you can't start becoming other people. You know, I don't mean that you have to be blissfully happy, but... It's good to know who you are and to accept who you are, and I think you can feed that into playing other characters then.
1: Can I talk about a previous interest of yours? A few years ago, you adapted Primo Levi's This Is A Man and played him, indeed. Could you tell me about the roots of your interest in, in Levi? I must admit I'm also a, a great fan yes. <laughs> of Levi, but could you tell me what, what drew you to him? Well, that book, If This Is A
2: Man, his account of his 11 months in Auschwitz, has to be one of the most compelling accounts of the Holocaust that exist because of the fact that Levy was trained as a scientist, as a chemist, and has this very analytical view of things. Even when he's in hell, Auschwitz, He's analysing and noting in great detail and with also, I think, a great deal of humanity what's going on. So the picture of Auschwitz is phenomenal. And I was thinking about how to put it on stage. I think it's impossible to put it on stage literally. And I have a particular aversion to seeing well-fed and healthy actors shaving their heads and putting on the, the white striped uniform, the, the striped uniform of, of, of the concentration camp. So came up with this idea that the only way to do it would be as a one-man show with him dressed in post-war, so-called modern clothes, the familiar image we have of Levy with the beard and the glasses and the tie, shirt and tie and pullover. And for him to simply tell the story of being in Auschwitz, as indeed he does in the book, uh, which he wrote after the war. So you have him after the war telling the audience the story, and I think, I hope it worked extremely well because somehow by that quiet, restrained tone that he has as an author, and which I tried to capture as an actor, I think some of the horrors of Auschwitz come across
1: as powerfully as as any other way could convey because you're you 're a writer uh, and you must appreciate that there's something about the simplicity and the clarity of his writing mm. that is incredibly rare and it 's almost like a kind of magic isn 't it it is
2: particularly because it 's dealing. With such a huge grotesque, horrific subject, which anyone else anyone who was inclined to hysteria or or exaggeration or the the terrible drama of it would not be able to convey as well as as this very measured, objective voice,
1: which is his remarkable voice. Coming back to tonight's show, to Travelling Light, it ends with this gorgeous tableau, which is very moving, and I don't know if you could just talk us through that and, and what goes through your mind when, when you act that.
2: Well, it's, it is, as you say, a beautiful little sort of little epilogue to the play, We've learned in the 1930s sequence with the, the man who was the young man, now the film director in Hollywood, we've learned that my character, Jacob died in a pogrom after the young man had left Eastern Europe. And we've learned that Jacob's wife, Ida, came to America and brought up the young man who turns out to be the filmmaker's grandson. Anyway, so the filmmaker is making a film of the shtetl, and so the set in the film studio is is the same as the set that we've seen as the real shtetl. So you have the 1930s and 40 Um, years before at the same time? At the same time. And as he stands there reminiscing a few of the characters from the shtetl come in, including mine, Jakob, to have Friday night supper, to have Shabbos. And so in a a slightly dreamlike way, the filmmaker becomes part of that Shabbos service, you know, the lighting of the candles, and they settle down to to start the meal, and the lights go down and ends it. And yes, I, I think it's a beautiful way... It's, it's a sort of meeting of ghosts, which is a lovely way to end. Antony
1: Scher, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.
0: That was London-based producer Hugh Levinson. He spoke with Anthony Scher at the Littleton Theatre in London. This production of Travelling Light runs through early June. You're listening to some music from that show. This song is called What Could Have Been. For more information on the show, please visit our website, tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Ivry, your host. Please join us again next time.